Welcome to the Coffee with COVID-19 podcast. My name is Patrick Rolf, and this is an ongoing media project where we use conversations with some of the leading entrepreneurs and thinkers within the coffee industry to try to understand a sustainable way to living together with our new reality, COVID-19. Welcome everyone. Uh, it's time for episode six of this podcast series where we're discussing coffee with COVID-19. Basically trying to understand what is going on in the industry throughout the whole part of the value chain. And um, for this episode, we have Lisa with us uh, from Glasgow from Deering Coffee Roasters. And we're super excited to kind of get your perspective on this and get a bit more insight in, in what's happening in your part of the world. Uh, how are you today? Sure, I'm all right. Yeah, I've had a busy day, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm glad to be sitting down and chatting to you. So yeah, all good. <laughs> Very happy to have you here as well. We actually, which is kind of, um, I just thought about this, but we met in London yeah. <laughs> right before this or right in the start of this, right? We were both yeah. visiting a, a mutual client of us. Mm. Um, and this was, yeah, right in the, in the, in the very, very beginning. And I think it's at least for me, that was also before I started to understand the, the bigger picture of what was actually going on. Right. Yeah. Um, but well, I, I remember, just... I remember well, <laughs> yeah. I remember it's the last time I shook someone's hand. I, I mean, yeah, definitely. Right. And that's amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, there's so many different parts of, what we do on a daily basis, at least from my perspective, that has completely changed, right? And uh, yeah. last yeah. time, sure, someone said, that's about right for me as well, right? And that's, yeah. that's pretty, it's crazy when you think about it, right? I, I remember we even, we discussed how you were getting back um, <laughs> from the meeting to kind of back home, right? If, if, the, if the planes were actually um, still running, right? And, and, and how exactly. we actually, how we travel, right? Which it's very important questions for now as well, right? Yeah. Um, on the kind of context of that, like where, where, where did you actually hear about this for the first time? Like, where were you? And then what was your kind of initial thoughts on, did you believe this to be what it is today or, or did you get it all wrong? I was on it actually. Uh, so I'm really boring and I listened to Radio 4. So I don't know if you know Radio 4. <laughs> or I not. don't know Radio 4. <laughs> so it's BBC. It's when you get really, really old. And you start listening to Radio 4 in the UK and probably around the world. But I, yeah, and it's really informative and it's quite uh, political. And if I'm in my car, usually I've got Radio 4. So in January, when everything was kicking off in China, I was listening to a lot of uh, reports. Uh, I've got like a friend of a friend who was actually in China and I shot him a message. Hey, hope you're all right. Uh, so I was quite aware of it. And then what really hit me the most was when we met in London and I saw people in the UK with masks on that day. So I flew to London and back in one day from Glasgow and uh, everything was in the news. We didn't know what was going to happen. We were like, what, six international people at a hotel and a boardroom in London and we all had a slightly different story or a slightly different awareness. Uh, and even then we're like, okay, we're having this conversation about this customer, but is this really going to be put in place? Because we don't know what's about to happen in the world. So I think that was that time, maybe the start of March, when 
uh, everyone knew there was something, but we didn't know how bad it was going to be. Are we going to have like a two-week lockdown or a three-week lockdown? Or are we going to have a lockdown? You know, that was a conversation maybe at the time. Um, but yeah, I went to London with the uh, hand sanitizer and didn't want to touch anything in the public places and all that stuff. And I think I was already sort of personally locked down. I was already cancelling meeting friends, like at the last minute, pretending I was tired because I, I don't want to be in a public place. Uh, I think when you have a business as well, I really needed to protect myself. And that was how my thought process was. Maybe I didn't realise it at the time. So I was protecting myself in order to protect my business because I knew if anything happened, I'm going to still have to run that business. Uh, but yeah, maybe what was it like two or three weeks after that? I think the UK um, told hospitality outlets to close. So all bars, cafes, restaurants all had to close. That was, I think, around the 20, 23rd of January, of uh, March. And uh, that's when all went to shit in the UK. <laughs> so all the cafes were closing and all of our orders stopped. And... Uh, and I remember having a staff meetings every day, listening to the government updates every day um, and not really knowing how I was going to pay everyone when I knew there weren't any orders coming in. So uh, it was pretty full on. <laughs> for, for sure. Right? And I think what you're saying initially as well about is because when you run a business as well, as you say, like if 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 we're not able to do that, then who will do that for us? Right. And that which is also really complicated. Plus, as um, one of the things that we um, what we're challenged with as well, and any production company would be challenged with, is that um, can you use all of your team at the same time? Or do you need to divide your team? Like, how do you? We've been hearing so many stories on these podcasts in terms of roasteries having to, you know, split the team into groups, and they couldn't be in the roastery at the same time. And um, I mean, well, if we if we focus a bit here on the fact that you say like not knowing if you can actually pay your staff, like what what actually goes through your head there? Because that's, that kind of a as an employer, that's a really tough thought process to go through, right? And I think it's a con condition we we you know <laughs> want to avoid as much as we can, of course, right? But I mean, what what went through your head there, and what what actually was there a solution for that problem? Um, for the initial part of the lockdown as well, or? I think, well, straight away, I, I'm a very ethical employer. So my staff were very people-focused and staff are important to me. The team are the business, you know? So uh, I think we were all sitting around the table and everyone's looking at me for an answer and I knew I didn't have an answer <laughs> and that's hard. And, you know, you're sitting around the table with people who have children who are saving for a house or, or deposit for to buy their first property or saving for a, a holiday or whatever it is. Everyone's got their own life, their own financial structure, their hopes, their dreams, you know, and you're part of that to them. And you knowing you can't fulfill that <laughs> is uh, pretty stressful, but also everyone's looking at you almost as you're as their provider and you need to have an answer uh, and to reassure them everything's going to be all right when in actual fact none of us have experienced this situation ever in our lives so what I did was guarantee everyone's job until the end of March on full pay and then I guaranteed everyone's job in April but no uh, sort of designated pay structure or amount of days perhaps reduced hours for everybody but 
keeping everyone's job. Uh, and that then with the suggestion would reassess as we knew what would happen. And thankfully we got a job retention furlough scheme in the UK. So immediately it was a relief <laughs> because we could go, okay, we don't need all the staff. Uh, we can't afford them all. And there's a system in place from the government to finance their salary. So that's what we uh, did. And rather than say, okay, you're on furlough and you're not or whatever, I just offered it to everybody because everyone had different levels of anxiety around coming to work or their family situation if they have children or seeing the bigger picture and knowing if actually if they stayed, <laughs> there's more job security. And everyone had a different perspective. Uh, you know, I, I, and I gave everyone the option to get back to me over the weekend and you know some people are walking out the door saying I'll just leave the keys here <laughs> and others are uh, you know like I've got an email in my inbox before I even got home so straight away you know they took the furlough for all for their own reasons and and we've had job losses you know and because we can't sustain all these uh, we're like predominantly a wholesale supplier to cafes restaurants bars so that's probably like 90 90 to 95% of our business uh, at the start of March. <laughs> and uh, straight away, we, we did exactly that. We moved into two teams. So we had two teams. There's uh, the roastery staff, there's six of us. So we had three people in uh, each, you know, each day, alternate days, uh, Monday to Saturday, and we're all off on Sunday. A separate coffee bar which straight away was a different dilemma we just had to monitor what was happening and that was in a that's in a building that services art students and uh, art studios and uh, offices so uh, we had to be in line with what was happening in the building uh, to service continue to service them but with you know taking precautions so it was all a little bit tricky at the time we got the job retention scheme and then we just cranked the online ads because we had to find a revenue stream. We had to pay our rent. We had to meet our, uh, our minimum costs. So all of our just outgoings, we cancelled all our non-essential spending, all these apps, you know, like all these apps you download and you're like, yeah, two pounds, five pounds, 10 pounds. And then you look at your, suddenly you're analyzing everything to the down to the one pence, you know, like what are we spending? Uh, so we had just our essential costs and then we just had to create projections based on that so this is what we have to make to break even and we've just taken every week week by week <laughs> and like this is our minimum online target per day and we just switch up our online ads to make sure we hit that and all the other techniques that you use like for search engine optimization and newsletters and all that kind of stuff so that's been our strategy. Yeah, and I think that's a, there's something I hear quite common uh, within this podcast, and, and also talking with uh, with other people running groceries, where we're we're clearly seeing a transition um, into online sales. Right then, um, I had some really interesting conversation, uh, especially with with for example Stephen Layton, which which is then obviously part of Hasbeen and then kind of a big online uh, e-commerce business to some degree, right? But he also made a pretty strong point there that. Uh, online sales is great, and I think most groceries, April included, has felt an, an increase in online sales during this time, right? But also, it's it's become redundantly clear that it's not enough, 
um, as in the wholesale losses that also April has experienced um, to not as severe now as we feel that the business is coming back to some degree, even if it's it's far from predictions. Um, but we still have definitely had a hard time going through that. And do you feel like how, how successful has that online process been for you guys? Uh, as in ha- Yeah, I think, you know, the likes of has been there well established online. I think we had everything in place, but we'd never really worked hard at it because we had our wholesale business and we were really busy so because we were so busy we're like oh yeah that's a little bonus that we get some online sales and they were always increasing and it was always a good part of our business but it wasn't our main business and then it just flipped overnight so suddenly we're an online sales business (laughs) like and we had to change how we did everything so we had to like you know change uh just look at how efficient we were you know, in terms of like labeling bags and how efficient is that stock rotation, like, or, like roasting smaller batches, roasting on, I've got our, it's our 25 kilo behind us, but we've got our five as well. So we're roasting on a five. And then some days I was, you know, there was only two of us in here and I'd have two roasters on at once, you know, I, like, I got back into roasting, which I hadn't done for a while. So I'm like warming up the 25 while I'm doing some roasts on the five and then another order would come in you're like oh shit we need to get the five back on or it was just all a bit of a jumble and then you get into your flow and because you understand you you know you're trying to read what's going to happen and what's happening online is different every day according to I don't know like what's happening in the world and uh, what's happening locally it's very localized because everyone was locked down uh so and then the obviously postal service was a bit of a disaster in the UK. Obviously they were amazing at what they did, the job they did, but they weren't ready for it. So a lot of the mail was taking ten days to get to someone who lived around the corner <laughs> from the roastery, and we were refusing to let them come to the roastery because it's not an essential journey. You know, we're trying to follow the government guidelines as much as possible. Uh, I think that's been, I heard I heard some numbers, I think that was um, Tim Endebo in an earlier episode, I think he estimated a loss of around $7,000 um, based on lost shipments or coffee not arriving, uh, sent out with standard post, right? And that's, that's one of the things that we've been experiencing as well, maybe not as, as, as severe, but it's been interesting because everyone is moving online. Uh, a lot of people are moving free shipping. And then all of a sudden, the, the postal service is more or less crashes, right? Um, so it's, it's, I think for me, it's going to be really interesting to see in a, in a kind of a few months from now where you sit, sit down and you calculate the cost structures, the fulfillment cost and, and all of this to actually see if there was any money coming out of that. Yeah, we were, we were okay. We had some... Uh, yeah, some bags that didn't make it to the customers and we'd resend. But our address is actually on our coffee bags and quite often they just find their way back to us. <laughs> so they'd like get lost in the postal system and even if the envelope had burst or something, they, we got them back and then we just give them, you know, it's product. So it's the cost price you're losing rather than the full retail price, I suppose. And we would just give it to people as a gesture because obviously it's past our... Um, date we would send it we'd give it or want it to the roastery we can't resend it especially it's ground uh, so what well, that's a trend we found actually we sold way more ground coffee when we got to a point where we were like 
five or 10% of our online sales were ground coffee and we were moving to actually just going beans only. We've been working at this for years just to make the decision and make the switch. Then suddenly we're like, you want us to grind the coffee? No problem. So that was a trend for us. Uh, it took us longer, but we got more sales because of it. Um, and we had a lot more customer service as well because people were bored at home and they just want to email and chat and hi how do we brew this and you're like okay we're just we're busting our ass getting all these bags and you know out the door every day and then someone wants to chat about like email tennis you know so yeah it's guess- been a, it's been a very interesting process right and i think what uh, what I see is that a lot, as you mentioned as well, it's been it's been going back to basics to some degree, right? And, and your experience with like you being back in the roastery, you roasting and and you know to two staff, it's um, it's almost like you know the first time we started the businesses more or less, right? Where it's like it's it's you and the roaster and you're you're packing and shipping and that's how it is, right? And, and that's um, you know I I I like to always try to find. Um, some kind of positivity going through processes like this, even is of course it's it's uh, it's an extremely challenging time, and and a lot of negative things are coming out of it as well, right? For on multiple levels, right? But um, there's also parts of it where there's an opportunity to to kind of relearn, uh, reassess, and and rethink a lot of the things in the business as well to to come out stronger to some degree, right? Where where is where are you guys today? Like what is the, the current situation? Um, uh, in the UK and also for the roastery and, and in terms of volumes and staff and, and yeah I think well we're down to five full-time staff uh, we had 10 staff not all full-time before but we had 10 we've gone to five uh, and yeah I don't know how that's gonna work going forward but we're trying to stay very lean with our staffing because uh, we don't know what's going to happen every week so right before this call Scotland have had an announcement from Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister for Scotland, uh, to say that we have a further lockdown uh, to like public gatherings. So um, you can't have people in your house and you can only meet outside with one other household. So this is a new regulation just from today, but also on top of that, there are little mini lockdowns throughout the country. So Glasgow, where I am, already had a further lockdown than the rest uh, of Scotland, uh, but not as bad as some areas in England. So, yeah, we're we sort of um, I think we were heading to a good situation, and now we're going a little bit backwards again. Hopefully, it's it's because the government have learned a lesson from the first time. <laughs> you know, uh, I think we're having com- we just had a staff meeting today as well, so we're having conversations where you have a monthly meeting. Like, okay, what's happened this month? What have we learned? What do we need to do to help us next month? Uh, so today, you know, just discussing like all of these things, like what what situations are going to put us at risk. Like we've stopped doing barista training. We don't have anyone visiting our roastery. Uh, so if someone does visit our roastery then if they've been anywhere where they've been in contact with anyone who's tested positive is that putting is that putting the future of this roastery uh, at risk uh, do we have to close then we don't know because actually the guidelines aren't uh, they're not very clear and they can be manipulated but also from a humanitarian perspective I don't want the staff to be at risk so 
it's really hard because you want to help your customers and you want to make life as easy for your customers and you want to maintain the relationships and the sales. But ultimately, you can't have the sales if you don't have a team <laughs> and you can't, uh, yeah, you can't have the customers if you don't have a team to help you service them. So, yeah, it's kind of tricky. We're in a situation now where I'm really proud of the team. I'm really proud of where we've got to. We lost, you know, like 90% of the business overnight in March. And now we're down, like, you know, I'd rather be 100% transparent about it. Like, we're down 29% for the year in total. And that's because we've maintained our online, our online uh, sales trajectory that we've had since March, but also because our wholesale has come back and we have got lots of wonderful, loyal customers. And it's, it's been really heartwarming to see them all open their doors and see their business come back to some form of normality where they can move forward. And we just got to keep on top of everything every day and keep looking at projections. And we've been really, I mean, we had an organic growth since day one. We started off coffee maybe at the right time. <laughs> and, uh, we just, and we're all really ambitious and, you know, so in here. So I think trying to keep that positivity um, whilst looking out for one another and managing like, all sorts of stuff like mental health of everybody and everyone's personal family circumstances. Um, I think everyone's on their own wave <laughs> of feeling good today, feeling bad today, or, you know, um, it's kind of tough, but you, if, I think having somewhere to come to, to work and feel safe and to know that we have something positive happening here and having lovely feedback about our coffee is a nice thing so we're we're just continuing as we as much as we can to keep to keep going forward and managing every situation and seeing every opportunity you know like we got our coffee into veg boxes that get delivered to people's homes and we just trying to find other ways other business opportunities uh, and also buying like really amazing coffee <laughs> having time a bit more time to do that to be honest for me um like where if we if we focus a bit on the the, the buying part of coffee because it's something that as a, as a roastery owner um, becomes really interesting and we talk to exporters here we talk to farmers we talk to importers we talk to a bunch of roasteries and it's such a different diverse range of approaches here whereas right? like we see canceling projects uh, contracts we see uh, again some some roasteries buying more coffees. Like, um, wh where are you guys? Because within a specialty coffee, of course, one of the things we as roasteries communicate quite strongly is that the relationship with the producers we buy from um, and the continuity in that and sustainability of, of how we do that. And how have you guys been affected on, on the green coffee side specifically? I think uh, so in March, everyone panicked and bought toilet roll. And I panicked and I bought loads of green coffee because <laughs> I, so like I said, I was like, I were, I kind of predicted the lockdown, I think before anyone else uh, was really talking about it a whole lot. So yeah, I just stocked up because I thought if there's a, if traffic is not allowed to move, if there are roadblocks, I was thinking like disaster situation, you know? Uh, so we got lots of green coffee <laughs> in stock so that if anything happened, we could still roast and supply. Uh, I didn't really predict the hospitality shutdown, to be honest. I thought maybe, you know, it'd be a different kind of lockdown. But uh, then it did get to a point where I was like, oh, we're not, 
we're not going to be able to get through a lot of coffee we have contracted but also we've run out I think the timing for the coffee calendar was quite interesting possibly in very positive and very negative ways so in a positive way we were at the end of contracts really um, so we were, we were all we were trying to get through the last of our Guatemala that we'd had for a year. We we our Colombia had a couple of months left, and our Brazil is the biggest one I think for all roasteries. So we that's the only contract we still have an overstock of Brazil, but we don't have the next crop landed yet. So um, we're still trying to get through that. We might maybe we will, maybe we won't, but that's the only one that I've kind of stuck with and. Um, we've worked with this farm for maybe seven years, something like that. So I really want to make sure that we uh, get through the coffee and then we can order again. And, and we will. I'm positive. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> uh, but from the other point of view, we couldn't get some coffees that we wanted to get. So Ethiopia was really tricky. So we had to be finished our Ethiopian coffees. And, you know, we're trying, still trying to get some coffees through the links that we have. Um, we've got a lot of loyal relationships. I think everyone does. You have your partnerships you've worked with for a long time and people you trust. Uh, so, yeah, we went through like a different sack of Ethiopia every other week and a different from a different washing station. So, But we had to because our customer demand was online and more single origin focused. Uh, so it was actually kind of interesting that you're getting to do something you really love. <laughs> you're actually getting to taste way more coffees. So we were doing buying uh, like tables every week of cupping tables. Uh, and, and, you know, that had another layer of complexity as well because we're, we want to have, you know, at least more than one cup if you're doing a buying decision, <laughs> preferably five, obviously. But you have to, we want to have two people cupping to discuss the coffees together so you're not going to have 10 cups <laughs> so trying to just have at least two each so we're having to ask suppliers for you know more green than they'd usually send in a sample so that we could have that on the table uh and finding the time to do that when we've been in here from seven in the morning roasting packing deadlines for the courier deadlines for the postman like all this stuff so um we've got to a point now where we've secured a lot of coffee. We've got some really interesting coffees come. I've gone out of my, maybe I was in a structure that I had created for the business that I hadn't realized where I was like, we've got a Colombian, we've got a Brazilian, we've got a Guatemalan. I would just sort of tick boxes uh, and also try and, you know, buy for the year. And now I've maybe, I'm speaking to some, some people where, uh, like importers that maybe I haven't worked with before and taking the time to find out about their traceability information to start working, to form some new relationships while still honouring all the, the people who have been loyal to me over the years as well. So, yeah, it's been quite nice, actually, uh, to really look at some micro lots that we can work with and something we can work with in the future to move forward as well. So buying from them for the first time to create a new uh, like sustainability project for, for the business and for them. Uh, yeah, but then other stories of, do you want this coffee? We need to know now because we need to know whether to prepare it for specialty or not. 
uh, so that further preparation methods that happens at origin and as do they have the the amount of people to be able to do that because their their um, spike came after ours in producing countries so I don't know how that's going to affect everything going forward we just have to stay aware and be prepared I think you can hit us with anything now <laughs> after what we've gone through it's kind of it's how I feel but for, yeah for sure for sure I mean it's it's um as you say, like there's a few things there that I like to pick up on that I think is really interesting. First of all, the, what you say about the timing on green coffee, which is, is actually quite interesting. And, and for the people listening in here as well, that may not be as in tune with the kind of coffee harvesting cycle as we are, is that we actually had a lot of countries that were um, finished picking, they finished at least wet milling. Maybe they were still dry milling, basically um, autumn or late autumn time. But we actually had, um, it actually hit us, I would like to argue, in the perfect, in the perfect time. Uh, as in, as, like a lot of contracts, as you say, were fulfilled. Uh, and we were sure some people had signed new ones, but we, we hit us at a time where we could foresee to some degree uh, and, and make some changes to, to kind of remain sustainable, right? Um, I myself, I'm very curious what's going to happen. And that's that's a conversation for another time. But we have Brazil coming up. And the, the Brazil harvest, as, as we all know, dictates the commercial market um, to, to a large extent, which also then is going to dictate the specialty market for 2021. So I'm very curious to see what will happen with the coffee market at, at large now, right? We had all-time low last year. And I'm, I'm very curious what will happen, especially 2021. Um, 2020 seems to be be um, predictable so far, right? But it's it's interesting to see one of the things you say as well is that um, you know you you have an opportunity to recess some stuff to to watch. Okay, these are the practices we have done so far, um, and again, it's it's important to link back to the fact that uh, um, any kind of disruption. Um, even one as unwanting as this one, uh, it's still an opportunity, right, to to see your company from from new perspectives, right. So, um, I'm I'm pessimistic in the sense that I think this is going to go on for a very long time. Uh, I think we have like there's some people on this podcast that predicted uh, two years until market stabilizes. Uh, I will probably be one of them, as in uh, I don't see a solution anytime soon. Um, and as, as you mentioned in, in Glasgow, and we have the same in Copenhagen today, where we have um, further quarantines and, and, and going kind of back to that kind of late fall uh, period. But it's also important that we take the time to actually make something um, out of this and see something positive, right? And and reform the structures of the of the businesses. And um, one of the things I'm interested to discuss a bit, and that's mainly because I'm very much in it myself, because April as a roastery is also very much a wholesale roastery um, and, and have, have business to start as well, right? But um, one of the questions that I'm starting to hear in our part of the industry or is, is whether it's going to be sustainable in the future to build a roastery on wholesale. Um, is, is, is wholesale dead for lack of a better term? I mean, of course, it's going to be around to some capacity, right? But would you, would you actively restructure um, your business for the future as well to try to um, kind of hone in on different revenue points? Um, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, right now, uh, I'm just relying on online for my to cover the cost of the business. So what we get on wholesale is a bonus right now. 
Uh, but the, the balance is tipped, but it could tip the other way next month. So I need to, it's like running two businesses simultaneously. Uh, and then it's, uh, you know, working out, we've got our packing area. So we're like, should we split that packing area into wholesale and retail? Should we have certain hours of the day that are just wholesale or retail? But then the next week, something new happens and we're like, no, we can't really do that. Uh, so, you know, we've got a kind of structure to the day. We've got deadlines for Royal Mail collecting and like, yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really, really difficult. Like, uh, I'm doing all the deliveries as well. <laughs> so I'm a delivery girl now, but I, I love it. So that's fine. So I get to see all the customers, but you know, I could do the deliveries in one hour three months ago and now it's like four hours and you know Glasgow's pretty small so <laughs> I can like zoom around and uh, kind of see everyone uh, I think you know we have some incredible customers that didn't close for one day and they did take away right the way through lockdown uh, and their volumes were you know more than they'd ever like of coffee that went through was more than what they ever had done before and then as the lockdown eased other places open and then their volumes went back to what they were before. Uh, we've some, some businesses have closed and some are only just opening like now and they've been closed since March. It's really hard to put a figure on or a prediction on any sort of trends in wholesale because it's government controlled and it's specific to each business and how, um, how well the business was run, what their financial situation was at the time of the lockdown, um, what their, how many staff they had and their commitments to their staff and their salary uh, bill um, and their location, actually. So if they're in a city centre, very difficult to reopen. Uh, if they reopen, are they going to cover their costs? It's a very difficult to know whereas in residential areas everyone's happy because people are at home then they're going out for coffee because they need to get out of their house so yeah if you're going to start a wholesale roastery make sure all your customers are in residential areas <laughs> that's that's my only words of wisdom I think yeah. but I don't think wholesale's dead I wouldn't I'm not with you there Patrick <laughs> No, no. I mean, believe me when I say that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that people like claim this are wrong, right? Because I mean, of course, people are. There's a lot of arguments to be made. I mean, humans are social uh, animals. We always been. We've gone through historically uh, pandemics and other challenges. And if anything, uh, what we can see um, after a situation like this is, is usually a spike. Uh, like a positive spike in the sense that, you know, we all want to socialize. We want to go to our coffee shops. We want to travel, you know, stay at hotels. The, the, I think there's something that is just inherently human today, right? So I think in the in the longer perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm quite positive, right? And I'm I'm 100% uh, agreeing um, with the pitch as well, where it's like the, the neighborhood shops have, some of them have gone through this stronger than than ever before, Right. Uh, we see it very clearly in Copenhagen. I see it with the wholesale customers April has around the world. Um, if you are the smaller the place you're in, the more your sales have been the last few months, which is really interesting, right? Um, so, so rather than an end of wholesale, we're probably see going to see a shift in in location of wholesale, perhaps, right? 
Um, but um, uh, no, that very, very interesting process, I think, in general. Um, I want us to, um, before we wrap this conversation up, I want to be mindful of your time. Um, a bit of prediction, which I know it's difficult, but I still like to ask it. Like, what what is coming up? Like, what do you think 2021 especially kind of has to store for us? Is it, does it make a point to have a pr- prediction now or is it just all wait and see or what would you like to happen? I think it's definitely still the unknown. Uh, I, you know, there's some sort of adrenaline about having to think on your feet every week. And I think if you started a business, you've already been a risk taker and you maybe already like that adrenaline. So I, I don't know, from my point of view, I'm just trying to stay well informed and trying to, you know, there's a, there's so much stuff online right now and it's known what to listen to, which is relevant and has, um, you know, that is, that is, is communicating the the information that we need to, in order to make good decisions to move forward. I think there is a trend for people, uh, you know, like uh, drinking more coffee at home. Uh, maybe in Copenhagen, it's always been quite normal, but in Glasgow, maybe it's a bit new. Uh, maybe people are experimenting also with, I'm going to try different single origins because before I bought the supermarket, coffee like fresh coffee if you can say that from the supermarket but now I'm going to get it from a roaster and now I'm going to try different origins from the roaster and now I'm going to maybe you know invest a bit more in that I'm, I'm willing to go up that price scale because now I understand coffee and I'm getting excited by it and interested in it so I think the market for specialty actually is there <laughs> and is growing uh, it's still a small market uh, but there's a more of a crossover with the mainstream market now. What I have noticed is uh, some some companies I've been following, they're pitching more to a mainstream market. They're maybe starting to roast darkly when they didn't before because they can see that's maybe a buzz description that mainstream customers are gonna, the market are going to are gonna want. Uh, in terms of coffee from origin, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried about the origin countries uh i haven't traveled i usually travel a lot and i haven't traveled this year which has been really nice for me to be honest i've quite like being grounded but i really feel that distance from the farms and that connection uh for the update of my knowledge and for me to bring that knowledge back to my team and to you know my customers uh so those connect that's just my personal connection but there's going to be that for every roastery that visits origin and also for every coffee farmer and exporter who usually has that connection maybe with the Western world or the buyers and what they're looking for in the coffees. Um, I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud. But No, I think, I think that's a very strong point. And I hear, I think, every, basically everyone I've talked to so far on this podcast um, have, you know, a, a very similar experience. And I think for a lot of us, um, at least me, me, uh, myself, I get a lot of my energy from, you know, one or two trips early in the year um, to some of my favorite farmers, right? Because there's a level of, you know, an inspiration there. And I think in the very f- foundation of what we do is, is the farmer, right? There's no way around that. Um, so I think that's, I think that's really important. I think that's, it, it goes in both ways because I also hear people discussing, well, you know, we can do, um, we had Nadine on from Pimavera um, earlier in the podcast as well, and we were discussing, you know, virtual visits to the farms. Uh, and I mean, that's really interesting, right? And that can, something positive can, can come out of that. 
we all travel too much. It's not good for the environment. We know that as well. So there's there's interesting things that can come out of this, but there's also um, a very real sensation that I think especially coffee is where it is today because of the relationships we have with the farmers. And I think that's very, very difficult to get online um, in the same way. You might be able to maintain that relationship, but um, kind of putting the seeds in for it and, and, and allowing it to grow requires us to actually meet. So I'm, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, and, and also a very interesting point. I, I heard what you mentioned there about the, uh, some roasteries are kind of, you know, we're switching up the products to maybe then, you know, meet in different market. And I think that's really interesting where I'm predicting a, a, a kind of fundamental change in, um, in how the special coffee scene will be structured. And I think we're going to see a lot of, um, kind of different versions of specialty, like a segmentation within specialty coffee industry, which I think already before this year has started, right? Whereas it's not just commodity and premium is specialty or whatever you want to call it. It's going to be specialty. And then we have a bunch of different tiers, uh, within specialty, right? Um, which is also going to be interesting to see. I'm not really sure how that's going to affect the industry, but um, it's, it's fair to say that the industry will not be the same um, moving forward, right? I think so. It's going to be like pre-pandemic, post-pandemic conversations. You know, I feel lucky. I, like I've had the opportunity to travel. I feel lucky I've done my Q grader. I feel lucky I've done like um, sensory AST. I've done all of these things already. So I feel like I... In terms of running a roastery, I've got all the tools and the experiences. Uh, so I have integrity in what I can talk about for the coffee industry with my customers. And I can, can communicate the right message. Uh, you, know, I've, you know, if it's new roasteries, they haven't got that behind them. And maybe they won't have that opportunity going forward. So there's going to be an element of the companies who have that and who haven't. And... You really want the you want the industry to progress. You want people to go to origin. You want baristas to go to origin. You know you want um, all of these things like uh, the SCA, like all these the classes that they do, uh, barista training. We're not doing it right now. I don't know if any other industries are. I need to check that out and maybe chat to some more people about it. I've checked, you know, I've chatted to some people already to understand how they're thinking about it it's nice to talk to other business owners and be collaborative in our thoughts to find a, a way forward um so are there going to be less people trained as baristas how what's the standard of coffee making going to become you know there's like this there's uh yeah what, what coffees are we going to get as well and the preparation methods if there's not as many people at origin if they have if they're struck with if they if they have a spike in cases in their you know, so their area, uh, the export, is the coffee going to export on time? Is there going to be a delay in exports uh, or further checks to do when it arrives, when it goes through the, all the checkpoints it has to? There's so many things to think about because our industry is already multi-layered and it already has this very complex supply chain uh, right from picking that cherry to someone taking their first sip of coffee. So it, it's something that we have to understand. And I, I think I feel really grateful of where my business is at right now because 
um, I feel we have solid foundations and we can sort of weather the storm. <laughs> and if it comes to it, I can run the business on my own because I did in the beginning and that's how I feel. Although I'm probably not being realistic, my team would say that's absolute nonsense. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but you know, I think it's just determines determines people and ambitious people to try and keep the industry going and to keep it with the same momentum that it had because it was going really fast before. So that's how I feel, and I love this industry, so I'm not going to let it go. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And I think that's also, it's, it's a great way to sum this conversation up as well. I mean, I think it's, we're, we're thankful to be at a place as an industry where we're, we're developed enough to have um, and you and, and, and other people in it that are going to make sure that we get out on a positive side, right? And I think that's so important because if this happened five years ago um, or, or uh, yeah, let's say five years ago, I think we would seen a very different realization, right? Because a lot of the companies that have kind of created the foundation of this industry uh, wouldn't have been in a place where that foundation is as stable, right? Um, so I'm, I'm arguing that Specialty Coffee is in a position where we are going to be able to prevail in this, right? Because um, we, uh, we have the individuals, we have the companies, uh, we, have, we have a transparent and to some degree sustainable value chain that could be improved, right? Um, but I'm really excited to see what comes up. I'm excited to follow you guys to see what's happening as well. And um, I want to thank you a lot for taking the time to uh, be a part of this podcast as well. Yeah, Thanks thank for you. inviting me. I'm happy to be here and happy to chat to you. Um, but yeah, it's always nice to chat to other people in the industry. And that's what I'll always do because that's what will keep us all grounded and that's what will move us forward. So thank you very much. Super. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This product has been brought to you by April Media, which is an unfiltered view on the coffee industry powered by our Patreon supporters. Uh, we would love it if you share these episodes, subscribe to our channels, and if you want to be a part of building this, please join our Patreon. Thank you again.